we are uh, working our way through the book of Acts. We're going to go to chapter 9, and then we're actually going to jump to the Old Testament. But uh, So we're in this series for a couple, at least a little while longer. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 4. So to bring you up to date, here's where we are. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is, <clears throat> has spent 40 days after he has been resurrected out of the tomb. He leaves, and uh, he ascends up into heaven. The disciples are standing there. They now have a job in front of them because they are, there were 12 of them, and there were only 11 now because of Judas. So they come up, and they appoint a new one, and we talked about that Acts chapter 1. We get to Acts chapter 2, and we have Pentecost. Everybody is gathering there in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and the uh, Holy Spirit does a very, very unique thing there. And uh, they start speaking with tongues, and people start hearing the gospel in their own languages. And God uses that in an incredible way to take off, really to, to jumpstart, if you will, the spread of Christianity. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that, that, that 3,000 people respond to Peter's message there at Pentecost. Um, we get to Acts chapter 3, and uh, it's the first miracle we see the apostles doing after Jesus is gone. And he heals a lame man who has been there, and we're going to learn this morning, for 40 years, actually. And uh, he heals the lame man, and then uh, the, the guy gets up, walks with him into the synagogue. Everybody starts hearing about it. Everybody wants to know how, 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 why, 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 what, what. So they got a lot of questions. So Peter now stands up, and we talked about this last week, and preaches. And uh, the people uh, respond, and uh, we're going to see that this morning. So he actually preaches pretty much the same message that he preached in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And again, so we see a lot of people at Pentecost, they get saved, they come to know the Lord. We see Peter preaching here after the miracle, and people uh, respond. We're going to see that by the end of this thing, we've got almost 5,000 people that have responded. In the book of Acts, after this, we really don't see a lot of uh, numbers mentioned, but we do up to this point because the idea is this church is just, this thing's just taken off like gangbusters. And so uh, we come now to Acts chapter 4, and it's a very interesting passage because this is the first time we see opposition to this thing. And we're going to see opposition to the disciples, and it's going to be, it's going to continue through the book of Acts. But this is really the first time we see the message rejected. Um, up until now, as they have preached, people have responded positively, and this is going to be a, a negative thing. So Acts chapter 4, uh, here's, here we go. It will be up on the screen for you to follow along as, uh, as, as I read, but here's what it says. Now, as they spoke to the people, they, spe speaking of Peter and John, so Peter and John are preaching to people. They want to know, how would this guy get healed? And they're, they're preaching to him, and notice what it says. The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. All right, so let's walk through this a little bit. The priests, these are the important people. Um, these are the religious leaders of the day. And then it says the captain of the temple. Uh, this is kind of like the chief of police of the temple. All right? Now, this was a very, very important role. Uh, at this time in history... Uh, and the, the way the temple was run, uh, the temple, the, the priests were working their way up, and many of the priests were Sadducees. And we have the temple, we have the temple guard there. Think of him as the vice president, okay? He's second in charge. Chances are really, really good the temple of the guard is going to become the next high priest. So it's kind of like 
He was the guy in charge of keeping everything. He was like the, the high priest's right-hand man. He made sure everything, and normally when the high priest was going to move on and retire, the temple of the guard is the next guy in line. So these are pretty important people that, that are involved. And then, notice this is the Sadducees. <clears throat> there are a number of religious groups at the time. The Sadducees is the one that, uh, the group that kind of came to the, the preeminence um, during this time. Uh, in the time of Jesus, it was the Pharisees. The Sadducees were there, but the Sadducees really started to take off here during the time of the, the disciples, uh, or the Acts and, and the apostles uh, going forth. <clears throat> Here's what you need to know about the Sadducees. The Sadducees believe strictly in the Old Testament, the, the teaching, the Old Testament, the scriptures. Uh, <clears throat> what happened is, uh, in, in, in the Bible understanding of it, there were, there were a number of groups that came up. The Sadducees only held to the teaching of the Scriptures. The Pharisees, who were popular during the time of Jesus, held to the teaching of the Scriptures and the oral tradition of the rabbis. So what would happen is the rabbis would study the Old Testament, and they would interpret it, and they would come up with a rule. And the Pharisees would... No, not only that rule, but also the rules of the rabbis. And that's, those are the people Jesus often confronted. Um, for instance, let me give you an example. Um, you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath, right? I mean, we all know that, you know. Uh, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, okay? <clears throat> so the Sadducees would embrace that. The Pharisees would have an interpretation of that. And the interpretation went something like this. You could only walk so many feet on a Sabbath. Past that, it was work. So you know what they did? This is cool now. You would, uh-huh. Yeah, no, no. Here's what you do. At your house, you would pick up a, 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 a dirt, you put it in your little pouch. You would walk that prescribed amount. You'd dump a little dirt on the ground. You'd stand there, and then you'd walk the prescribed amount again. Then you'd dump a little dirt, and you could walk the prescribed amount again. So... They always had these, these, these runarounds, and that's why Jesus was saying, you guys missed the whole thing, okay? Well, the Sadducees, they believed in the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the, in the, in the teaching of the rabbi. They also didn't believe in angels, demons, the afterlife, or resurrection. Now, think about this for a second. If you don't believe in a resurrection... And everybody's talking about a Jesus who they killed, who's resurrected. That's a problem for your theology. And when they start hearing that, Peter and John are saying, the way we did this was in the name of Jesus. That's a problem. Because they're talking about a resurrected Jesus. And the other thing about the Sadducees is this. The Sadducees were, were, were really politically involved with the Romans. So the idea was if we had to obey the Old Testament or the Romans, we want to kind of blend it together so there were peacemakers between Rome because many of them were the aristocrats. They were the people who had money and wealth, and they flaunted that. So the Sadducees really were, were it was a power thing for them. So it's not uncommon then for the Sadducees to, to really push this thing. And it says, so these people gather together. Notice what it says. So while these guys are preaching, they laid hands on them and put them in custody till the next day, but it was already evening. Here's the problem. 
Um, there was a group that met every day, and they held court. So if there were other issues that could not come up, they would, they would hold court the next day. The problem is, this is late in the day, and court is done. So what are we going to do now? Well, let's put them in the temple prison overnight, and we'll hold court the next day. So they take Peter and John, they put them in prison overnight. It says, um, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed the number of the men that came would be about 5,000. Think about this for a minute. These guys are preaching. This group comes up, hauls them off, and people are going, uh, I don't know what's going on, but I believe their message. And at this point now, and people believe this is a cumulative number, at this point we have about 5,000 people here who are believing in Christ since Pentecost. So this thing's snowballing on them, okay? And the text goes on. Notice what it says in the next verse, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas, Annas the priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, many of them were the family of the high priest gathered together at Jerusalem. What happens is this is the supreme court of the day. They would meet often every day other than the holy days, so they wouldn't meet on the Sabbath or Passover, you know, the big important days in, in the calendar thing. Uh, it was probably the Sanhedrin, which is a group of 70, uh, plus the high priest, so at least 71. Um, they bring in all the grand high muckamucks. They sent them in a great, often they would sit in a great big semicircle. And the person who was accused would have to stand before them. Now, the Mosaic Law taught this, that if you had, had done a miracle and you were using that miracle to teach something about God, you had to be examined. Because if what you were saying was false, if you were teaching something false about God, they were going to stone, they stoned you. And if you were te teaching something that was true about God, they would encourage you and encourage people to accept your message. <clears throat> so here's what happened. So they, these guys are in prison overnight. They bring them in the next day. They're standing before this whole group, and they ask them a question. <laughs> these, these guys are so dumb. This is not the question you ask Peter. By what power or by what name have you done this? <laughs> That's not the question to ask Peter. Okay? He's already preached at Pentecost. He's already preached um, all morning or all afternoon here at, at, at the temple thing, and you're going to turn around and give him one more shot? Uh, but that's what they do. They ask him. They say, okay, we want to know. By what name or what power have you done this? And notice what verse 8 says. This is a key verse for this passage, but here, listen to what it says. Uh, verse 8, guys. Uh, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. At this point, Peter realizes he has a very unique opportunity standing in front of him. Sitting in front of him are the most intelligent people in all of Jerusalem at the time. Sitting in front of him, other than Roman leaders, are all the power brokers in the whole religious system. All of these are important, smart, intelligent, well-studied. Many of these people would have memorized the entire Old Testament. They could quote any passage in the Old Testament. These are people who are incredibly knowledgeable. And they look at him and said, we want to know, by what power or by what name are you healing a lame man? And Peter goes, all right, God, you've got to help me here, but here we go. And notice what happens next, verse, verse 9. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made known? So the first thing he says is, <laughs> I love Peter. Peter goes, 
Okay, so let me get this straight. The reason we're here is because we helped the guy who needed to be healed, right? And then he goes on. And to all the people of Israel, uh, let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and again, he said this at Pentecost, he said this on a porch, he's going to say one more time, who you crucified, but God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. He said, I'm here to tell you. You want to know why that guy's whole? So you got to picture the scene. All the grand, important people are there. Peter, fisherman, standing there with John, disciple, apostle. And I get the impression, lame guy, who has sat outside, who they've walked by, Day after day after day, year after year after year, is standing there, and he said, you want to know? He said, I'm going to let you know, this guy is standing here on the basis of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, but God resurrected. To which the Sadducees are going, well, I don't believe in a resurrection, but I don't, I do, you know, I do know people that saw him, and blah, 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 and and they're struggling here. They are struggling. And he says, that's how this happened. And then he goes on. He continues on, verse uh, 11. Here's what he says. This is the stone which was rejected by you, builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in the other. There's no other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. You don't see this in the English language. You see this in the Greek language. But let me try to... Try to help you. Try to try to explain it in a way that I'm gonna I'm gonna give it an attempt at. The the Greek word for for healed is the word soza. Okay. So here's what the people ask. We want to know how is this guy sozed? How is this guy healed? Talking about his physical healing. Peter turns around and says. Neither is, there, it, neither is there any other name given among heaven whereby we must be sozed. He said, you guys want to stand here and talk about physical healing. I want to talk to you about spiritual healing. You want to talk to me about the name that heals a guy physically. I want to talk to you about a name that heals people spiritually. There's something deep in your heart that needs to be fixed, and only Jesus Christ can fix it. And that's pretty bold considering who he's standing in front of. And notice what happened. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, in other words, these guys are too stupid to understand what they're saying. We are knowledgeable. We have knowledge. We have studied we have sat at the feet of the, uh, uh, of the rabbi. We have learned all of this stuff. We know the Old Testament. These uneducated fishermen are standing here talking to us about a resurrected Savior, are talking to us about the name of Jesus. And they can't believe how bold they were. I mean, these are people who could kill you. They had the right to put you to death. That's what they had done to Jesus. And you're now standing in front of him. Peter's not backing down. Peter's on the offensive here. And Peter's going, you know what? I'm, this is my opportunity. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ. And notice what he goes on to say. They marveled. 
And they realized that he had been with Jesus. They realized that what he was saying, they didn't get up on their own. This is coming from somewhere else. And so notice what it says. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing. I mean, they're sitting there going, (sighs) they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. They know they have to shut this thing down, but they don't know what they can do. So listen to what happens next. It goes on, verse 15. Um, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they said, and this this was not uncommon. They said, hey, look, we need you to step outside so we can talk among ourselves. And so they start talking among themselves. So Peter, John, the lame guy, go outside. And I imagine that was a hoot to stand out in the hallway with those guys. But these guys are now standing. Notice what they say. What should we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them as evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. He said, it's pretty hard to say they didn't heal the guy because he's standing right there. It's pretty hard to say that, you know, maybe it was some special medicine that he took because he's standing right there. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. They say, okay, here, look, we can't, we can't beat them because they haven't broken any laws. Uh, we can't deny them and say that, that this didn't happen because there's a lame guy standing there. Um, let's just threaten them and tell them they can't do it anymore. Oh, this is going to be good. You're going to tell Peter what he can and can't do. So notice what happens. They bring him back in, uh, verse 18. Uh, and here's what it says. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Well, that's right in the sight of God to listen to you. More than God, you judge. He says, tell you what, guys. Let's not be unclear here. You think we're going to listen to you? Or you think we're going to do what God's told us to do? What do you think, boys? It goes on. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You say, you know what? We've seen too much. We can't be quiet about it. <clears throat> so when they had further threatened them, so then they, they t- try more. Well, we're really going to get you if you keep on going. Okay, no problem. They let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. Since all, they had all glorified God for what had been done. They didn't speak anything wrong. They didn't handle it wrong. They didn't, they didn't react in a way that they could find something against them. And he said, so we had to leave them go. We just threatened them and told them not to do it anymore. And they, they basically respectfully looked at them and said, you know, you decide what we're going to do. And then I love the way the story ends. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Here's what that means. For 40 years, people had watched him be carried outside, sat down, tried to collect money in order to be able to make a living. And now the guy is standing in front of him. There is no way to explain this other than God did something very unique here. God was at work. And that's how this story ends with Peter and and John. Um, 
a couple of takeaways, a couple of things that I think will help us as we try to go through the list. Here's the first one. These guys are doing what's right. They heal a man who has sat there for 40 years. They have preached because God has impressed upon them the need to preach his name to people. And the result of that is they're thrown in prison. The result of that is somebody comes up and says, you can't do that anymore. You're going to go to jail. And they take them and they spend a night in jail. Now, here, this is important for us to understand. How do Peter and, and, and John respond? Okay. They don't fight it. They don't try to change it. They don't get upset about it. Because they realize something bigger is at play. They're focused on the fact that God is doing something bigger than their circumstances. In their circumstances. They're, they're, they're not focused, and this is important, hear me. They're not focused on their comfort. Because i got news for you. Prisons in that day and prisons today are a lot different. And they were probably in a temple prison, which was probably a little nicer, but not much. So here you have these guys doing what's right while they're preaching. Somebody comes forward and says, you've got to come with us. They don't fight it. See, here's, the thing, here's what's important. Had they fought it, they may have been able to pin something on them. Had they responded in the wrong way, Satan may have been able to use that. But you know what they said? They just simply stepped back and they said, you know what? God's got something bigger in store here, so we're going to trust him. And this is important. Because some of you have had stuff that's happened in your life. And you want to fight it and you want to change it and you want to do whatever you got to do and you're, you're, you're getting yourself all worked up over it because it's not going a certain way. You got to understand, there is something bigger at play here, folks. And you can either look at it from your own circumstances and your own little narrow tunnel vision kind of thing or you can try to step back and say, you know what, I've got to trust God here that he knows better than me. And that's hard. You see these guys right off the bat that when something goes south that wasn't planned, they step back and they simply say, you know what, we're going to trust God here and we're going to depend on God here and we're going we're to put our trust and faith in the fact that God knows better than we do. And that is an easy thing to say, but that is a hard thing to do. And I want to challenge you, because some of you right now, circumstances have come into your life, and you are just doing everything you can. You're spending all this time, energy, and effort to get it to go another direction, to get it to go this. Get it. Instead of saying, you know what, what is, God, what, what is God at work doing here? How can I use it? You know, I go back to this building thing. You know how many years we tried to get dirt moved? And it wouldn't happen, it wouldn't happen, it wouldn't happen. You know how many times that I thought this church should be actually about five miles or three miles down the road on a piece of land that I thought God should have put it on? I had prayed on that piece and prayed for that piece of ground. I had asked God to move mountains and get the people to sell it to us and blah, 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 blah. And instead, God put us up here. So much better. But you got to remember, when we put it up here, it was a mountain. This thing was as higher than the hill was that we just took down or God just took down. I watched God level out, and then I watched God give us more ground. And then I watched God move the dirt. 
And I, I just had to step back and say, you know what? God, you know better than we do. And we got to trust you. I had, I had a discussion with somebody this past week. They go, I just can't believe you guys are doing a building program the way you're doing a building program. I said, what do you mean? They said, nobody pays for it as you go. You know, the way you're supposed to do it is you go to a bank, you get a big loan, cover all your stuff, you get it all done. What if you don't, what if you run out of, what if you don't have enough money to do it? Then we meet with a bunch of studs in there. It's okay with me. Because God's got something better in mind. You know, I mean, you need to understand. What we're modeling for you as a leadership, as a church here, is the way we, we are trying to live our lives as a church. It's the way we think that you should live your life as, as a person. Where you trust God. I don't know how God's going to take care of all of it. I know this. All the bills are paid. It, and, and when it's all said and done, we're going to look back on it and go, it's a God thing. I, honestly... Yeah, I'm telling you, my pastor friends go, they, they are just bamboozled. I actually had an argument with a guy about a year ago on this thing. He goes, you can't do a building program that way. I said, what do you mean you can't do a building program that way? We've already done it once. Well, you don't understand. See, people don't want to put up with a project over a long period of time. I said, really? That's news to me because we've done it once. They said, no, no, no. And they were in the middle. They had just gotten a loan to do a program, to do a building deal. And they got a loan, and they said, we're doing it so that we can have it all ready, and, and people can just walk in, and it'd be done. And I said, I'm glad it works for you. But you know what? I, I have a hard time for you going to your people and telling your people to trust God when the reality of it is your, your, your trust is more in your banker than it is God. We didn't talk much after that. <laughs> but, I mean, really, it, it's one of those things where, and I think we've got to step back with it. And, 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 and when we talk about trusting God, we're talking about trusting God. You're trusting him for your salvation. You're trusting him so that when you take your last breath and you stand before him, he looks at you and says, welcome. Enter into my kingdom because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're trusting him for the most important thing in all the world. And yet, there are so many things that we come into our lives and we just grab a hold of and hold on as tight as we can and we try to control them and shape them and mold them and make them the way that we ought. And I'm not a country person. I'm not a country music person. Those of you who know me know what I think of country music. Okay? But that Jesus take the wheel, there's, there, there's actually some pretty deep theology in that. You know? You know, because you shouldn't be driving it in the first place. That's what got you in trouble. And, and I'm saying, what these guys do is they get thrown in a prison, and then when they stand before these guys, and they look at them and they say, I want to know how you're doing this. <laughs> Boy, these guys, Peter's like, okay, Lord, two-second prayer, help me. And the Holy Spirit makes Peter smarter than he knows how to be. And even these educated, the most educated people of the day, look at them and go, you know what? There's something different here. And 
I'm, I'm going to try to say as nice as I can. But you know what they're saying? These guys are too stupid to be able to figure this out on their own. Because you see, God takes great delight in using people that nobody thinks God would use. These guys, these guys fish every day. What in the world are they coming up with all this deep stuff about God? And How come we, as these intelligent people, can't find anything to pin on them? Because God was at work. And, and, and I can't say enough this idea of being dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the way we respond to one another and the way we respond to the community. Because, you know, look, you know, we're all... We, we all want to have those arguments with people. We want to answer all their questions. And sometimes we don't even talk to people because we're afraid we can't answer their questions. Trust me. God will show you what to say. God will use you. You're just going to have to trust him and he will. And you're going to have to depend on him. And you would be amazed what God can do. The last thing is, that, that part of it's for you that are Christians, to, to really learn to trust God, to really learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, to really allow the Holy Spirit to speak and use you. And to realize that the circumstances that you have found yourself in, there's a bigger picture at play here. And you're going to have to trust God for that. Some, and we get this often here, we get people who come in here week after week. They're not Christians. They're, they haven't, but, but they're trying to learn and they're, trying, they're open enough and they're, they're trying to, to figure out whether, where they fit and what they believe and all that kind of thing. To you, here's what I would caution you about. The problem with the Sadducees is that they had a box that God had to fit in. See, and their box said, there is no resurrection. And their box said, it has to be in the Old Testament. And their box said, it has to smooth over things with Rome. And because of their box, they weren't open to anything else. So their issue was, we got to get rid of these guys because they're talking about a Jesus who resurrected, and we don't believe in a resurrection, and since that doesn't fit in our box, we got to get rid of them. And what's interesting in this story is this is the first time the message is really rejected by a group. And what you're going to see is the message is going to continue to get rejected. Because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then the Pharisees are going to realize this thing is taken off like gangbusters and wildfire, and we've got to shut it down. And so then they get angry. By the time we get to chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, is actually hired by the church to go out and kill Christians to try to shut this thing down. And they are, they are so threatened by this that their issue is, okay, since we can't, since we can't explain it, then we're just going to shut ourselves off and try to get rid of it and push it as far away from us as we can. And what happens when they do that is Christianity goes deeper, wider, and takes off like gangbusters all across the Roman Empire to the point that later even the Roman Empire gets involved and says, we've got to shut this thing down. It's, it's too big. It's too influential. It's making too much a difference in people's lives. 
People aren't following Caesar anymore. They're following God. People aren't saying Caesar is Lord anymore. They're saying Jesus is Lord. We've got to shut it down. And I want to challenge some of you that, that you really need to be honest and take a look at your box. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. As a non-denominational church, everybody comes in here and they kind of have this box of life experiences and what they believe about God and what their denomination or church background or no church background taught them about God and everything, and, and God has to fit in there. And one of the things that we try to do as a church is to step back and say, okay, look, take a look at your box. Is that really the box that the Bible talks about? And what's unique about this church is a place where people can come and explore and learn and grow and question, and we can, as a group, figure out, okay, what, what, what is actually of God and what is actually what I've been taught that's not necessarily what the Bible really teaches. And that's important. But don't be like the Pharisees are the Sadducees who said, okay, because you can't fit, because it can't fit in our box, we, we insist on rejecting it outright. That's what Jesus does, by the way. He's constantly pushing the box of the Pharisees when he's, here, when he's on the earth. And he says, hey, you guys teach this, but what about this? If you're going to be intellectually honest with it, you've got to be able to look at it and say, you know what, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. I'll take a look at it. The Sadducees refuse to do that. And the Sadducees push him away and say, you know what, don't talk about And it ought to give you an idea. Don't talk about this name anymore. And you need to understand this. Christianity is an exclusive message in a world that is inclusive. The world will tell you there are many ways to God. Jesus said... I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to the Father but my Jesus boldly enough said, I am the only way to God. Peter, standing before the most intelligent people of the day, said, there is no other name, none, not one other way to God, guys, than this name. That's it. We're in a world that that's a very difficult message for them to understand. Because we're in a world that says everybody's right. Well, I'm here to tell you, everybody's not right. And the reality of it is, and we're going to talk about this Easter Sunday, but the reality of it is, if Jesus Christ is not the only way, then Jesus Christ was a liar, and you are wasting your time being here today. And I have spent my entire life on something that was nothing more than a fairy tale. But I'm here to tell you, if you really explore Christianity, what you will find is he did live. He did what he said he did. And even history itself speaks to what he did. Push the Bible aside. Even history itself. And it is so important that we be honest with ourselves with regard to that. The Sadducees refused to do that. And you, as we go through the book of Acts, here's what you're going to see. You're going to watch this snowball, and you're going to watch more and more people reject it, and you're going to watch people become more and more aggressive against it, and you're going to watch, you're going to watch people who do right by standing up for God and doing what God wants them face more and more persecution because Satan does not want the name of Jesus Christ to go forth, period.
He'll do everything he can to stop it. So for those of you who are believers, trust God. He knows what he's doing. He's got a bigger picture of mind than you do. Depend on the Holy Spirit to give you insight and understanding in situations that to be able to understand what God's at work doing. And for those of you who are still exploring, be careful of setting up a box that is so tight that you won't allow anything else to be considered. Because the Sadducees, that's what the Sadducees do here. And the Pharisees do the same thing. And you don't want to go down that road. I end it with this. Peter and John are doing what God led them to do. In the process, they're persecuted for doing right. They stood boldly, and they used the opportunity to share Christ. They focused on obedience to God, and they trusted God to use them as they served. The religious rulers, on the other hand, rejected the message and refused to open their hearts and minds to a God who was desperately trying to reach them. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for those of us who are Christians, we have put our faith and trust in you and you alone. God, uh, use us. Lord, in those times that we keep trying to manipulate and, 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 and govern circumstances and situations, Lord, help us to learn to trust. Lord, for those situations where we don't know what to do, Lord, would you help us to be dependent upon you? And Lord, for, for those who are searching and struggling and trying to figure out, Lord, uh, this whole Christianity thing. Lord, would you help them to be open to listening and hearing and learning and to be careful, Lord, of, of pushing aside things that don't fit into their system. And Lord, may we all be open to what you would have for us this week. Use us and we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. We're going to sing the first verse of There is a fountain.